Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, it's Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 480 of the podcast. It is July 12th, 2023. Today's one of the occasional sort of rare episodes where we're turning the tables. I am going to be the guest on today's episode, going to be interviewed by my friend Paul Critchley, formerly the host of the New England Lean podcast. So he's going to be talking to me, interviewing me about my new book available now, The Mistakes That Make Us, Cultivating a Culture of Learning and Innovation. So you can learn more about the book. You can find links in the show notes. You can go to leanblog.org slash 480, or you can go to mistakesbook.com. Now here's Paul. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. You don't recognize my voice unless you listen to the New England Lean podcast, which I haven't done any episodes of recently. So even if you did used to listen, you still might not recognize my voice. But I am Paul Critchley, and I am happy to be guest hosting the podcast today and interviewing our fearless leader, Mark Graben. <laughs> Mr. Graben, how are you? I'm Paul. I'm doing great. Um Happy to have you get back into the podcasting saddle, even if it's just uh, a one-off here. Maybe maybe you'll get back into your podcast someday. You still got the gear. I still got the gear. I didn't lease it. <laughs> I did a rent-to-own. <laughs> but thank you for accepting my offer to have you turn the tables on me here. Thank you. Uh, I hope you. I hope you brought your A game because I got all kinds of hard-hitting. I hope. I hope so. I hope so. This might have been a mistake, but we'll see. Well, you you could always just not publish it, I guess, if it <laughs> if this thing goes south on you. <laughs> All right, so let's jump right in. Congratulations, you have a new book coming out. Yeah, thank called... you. The mistakes that make us. As we're recording this, I don't have the books yet, so I'm going to hold up a cover for those looking on YouTube. The mistakes that make us: cultivating a culture of learning and innovation. Brand new book, and I hope people will check it out and read it. Well, check it out, library. That would be fine too. Buy the book, uh, read the book. The the main thing is I I hope the book is helpful in some way. You know, I think um, having a culture of learning and innovation is is something we would benefit from, and and to shift from a a culture of of being punitive about mistakes to being one that's more constructive. I think is ultimately better if if our goal is to reduce the number of mistakes happening. To some people, that is still maybe counterintuitive, maybe not to this audience, but we can try to help influence and remind or um, try to convince others that you know shifting from shifting away from the punitive approach is actually the better path forward for driving mistakes down. So we touch on that in the book. You know, we talk about mistake proofing. It's not a book that looks like a lean book on the cover, and it's not all about lean, but hopefully it's going to introduce. Um, some people the concepts that uh, they might not have turned uh, you know come across before. Nice, nice. So I, I think there's enough of those out there anyway. I mean, let's be honest, it's been around what thirty some odd years now. I think there's plenty of books that people can choose from as like the how to. I'm I get excited about some of the newer books that you know, like yours, um, some of the other ones that friends of ours have published in recent years. That's kind of more of the storytelling and kind of gets what I consider to be kind of towards the respect for people side to talk about culture and how important that stuff is. Because, you know, as a fellow engineer, you can appreciate, you know, we tend towards tools, I think, sometimes. And obviously that's important, but that's not the whole picture. So I really like kind of some of the, uh, you know, in books and some of the conversations I'm seeing online that are happening surrounding, like I said, culture, respect for people, that kind of it. So, you know, I just want to jump right in. So I want to, well, I'll jump in and back up, I guess. So you actually have a podcast, right? Mistakes that make us. So can you just tell us a little bit? Slight slight mistake though. I'm going to cut it. My favorite mistake mistake. podcast. I had that written down and I boned it up. So there you go. There's mistake. Little... It's all right. Mistakes happen. Right? <laughs> the count is Paul one, and we'll keep track of how many mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes too. I was going to say if we can put a graphic up of a little tally mark, that's <laughs> that'll be awesome. But 
So can you just talk a little bit? How'd you come up with that idea? Because that's been going on for what, two or three years now, I think, right? September 2020 is when I launched the podcast. And, I've, you know, this lean podcast that people are listening to here, um, you know, somebody I started in the summer of 2006. So um, 17 years now. And, you know, if you do a podcast long enough, you you somehow get on the list of these PR firms that will um, send out pitches, you know, people to interview. Very rarely are those firms pitching somebody who is like a perfect fit for a lean podcast. But uh, I got in. So I would say no to people that I thought, boy, you know, that would have been interesting. I'd like to meet them, but I just can't figure out how to make it fit uh, the lean podcast. And then I think it was May of 2020. June, um, early pandemic times, I wasn't traveling for work, you know, trying to just keep busy and doing stuff and um, got an email pitching Kevin Harrington, who was one of the sharks on season one of Shark Tank. I thought, wow, like, again, I I would like to talk to him. It would be fun to meet him and his co-author for a book he had coming out and he was promoting. I don't know how to make it fit. So anyways, there was some back and forth and brainstorming with uh, the PR people of, you know, do I start? Kind of just one one option would have been just kind of a very broad business podcast. Might have been a you know dime a dozen sort of podcast. And the PR people were actually kind of keen on the one idea of a, a podcast about mistakes. And um, so I thought, okay, well, let's try. Kevin Harrington and his co-author Mark Tim said yes, and they both came on and uh, really they crushed it. I mean, they, they didn't do the whole, I, I was a little afraid that it would be like the job interview of like, Paul, tell me your greatest weakness. And the answer mm-hmm. is something like, man, I just care too much and I work too hard <laughs> and I'm too focused on results. I'm like, okay, well, if it was the equivalent of that, it probably wouldn't have made for a very interesting podcast. But, um, you know, Kevin in particular told, you know, a really vulnerable story about a mistake that, as he put it, could have put his company out of business. And he told that on the podcast. So it's one of the lead stories, you know, in, in the book. And so with that, I had um, N equals two, I guess they would say it was, you know, one episode, two guests. Could I find other people willing to share a similarly, you know, compelling, not a humble brag mistake story. And, and thankfully people have, we're at over 215 episodes in that series so far. My, wow. my mistake. So I think not a mistake starting that podcast. When you start anything new, you don't know, right? Is this going to work? Is it going to be a mistake? I felt confident enough to try, but then again, the stakes were low, right? If it it flamed out after a couple of episodes, then okay, fine. Uh, So be it, you know, but Mm -hmm. I I think I had some legs and roundabout way then is what led to the book project. Nice. Yeah. So, and I got to give you a lot of credit as, I mean, you and I chat often anyways, but I do give you a lot of credit because um, just as you mentioned, I, I see so many folks that, you know, not, not um, analysis paralysis, but they try to overanalyze these things and look at it from different angles. And, and, and that's smart, but at a certain point, right? PDCA has got to kick in and we just say, you know what? The risk reward here, let's just try it and see what happens. And if it sticks, awesome. And if it doesn't work, oh, well, I tried. But I see it happen so often, whether we're doing client work or just, you know, I I just uh, keynoted at a a local bank uh, branch, you know, um, and that was kind of this a similar motif, I guess, is is that as we were as I was talking and I was getting questions, it was well, how do you, you know? Uh, they taught they asked about critical thinking skills, and it was all under the umbrella of because we don't want to screw this up. And I just wonder, out of you said what two hundred fifteen episodes, right? That you've recorded. Have you seen something, a pattern like that emerge or what's your feeling? Do you see anything with your guests that, you know, you've learned that maybe, you know, you cover in the book or anything like that? Well, both. I mean, I, you know, there's a lot of guests on the podcast. They, I mean, there's different types of mistakes, right? So the people who are entrepreneurs, they're, they're in a startup, they're doing innovative things. That's a situation where you maybe 
don't just expect mistakes, but almost welcome them or realize, okay, we, we're, if we have an idea that we're going to launch, and if we don't fall into the analysis paralysis trap, we're going to launch, we're going to learn, we're going to iterate. You know, I think those stories are really powerful. And, you know, I think that combined with even process improvement thinking I've been exposed to from, you know, former Toyota people, um, if you're testing a countermeasure or testing a solution as part of a plan, do, study, adjust cycle, you plan, right? And you, know, you, you maybe have this 85% confidence level that, okay, well, this, this doesn't seem like a horrible idea, but rather than, you know, I think there's a mindset difference, and, and I do write about this, the difference between knowing that my solution is perfect, so let's just go implement it or roll it out, is a different mindset than feeling like we thought this through, uh, we've tried to poke holes in it, we've made it better, but we it's probably not perfect. So let's do a small test of change and let's see what happens. And, and if we have the ability to kind of honestly evaluate the study and adjust cycles, and, and that's where one of the big themes in the book is psychological safety. To have the psychological safety to try something and not be perfect you know, to be able to adjust instead of having to stubbornly rationalize what we did and, you know, with this facade of perfection will actually, I think, you know, be far more likely to, to iterate our way to success. You know, so there's this balance here of like, it's not an excuse to throw whatever random ideas against the wall, like spaghetti. It's not licensed to be reckless. You know, but I think it's this idea, and I think the launch of my favorite mistake was similar, where um, we talked through the idea with people. It, it wasn't impulsive, right? I mean, I, I, I talked to people. I didn't do full blown market research. Um, I, I made sure that I had you know some guests, not just one, before launching. But I was you know willing to accept the risk of like, well, what's the worst that could happen? It, it's not a rocket blowing up over somebody's town, right? It's just, mm -hmm. if it's another, yet another podcast that sort of withers after three or five episodes, then I, I was willing to accept that risk. Mm -hmm. Nice. For, so I, I'm going to ask you to be a little tiny vulnerable, and I'm sure you've probably gotten this question already, and it mm -hmm. might've been in an episode and maybe I missed it. How about you? Hmm. How, mistakes you've made, what's your favorite mistake? Ooh. There's two, there's two answers. I mean, I, I have gotten asked this and um, the, 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 the more flip, the more flippant, but totally sincere answer was that my uh, one favorite mistake was taking a job at Dell computer in 1999. Um, I ended up leaving there after about two years to go to a, a startup software company. I realized pretty quickly that that wasn't a great fit for me culturally. I didn't want to stay there a long time. I did meet my wife through that, right? So, you know, that's making a positive, um, you know, 21 and a half years uh, married now, even though the Dell job was 21 months, you know, we'll call it. Um, you know, sometimes we make a positive out of something that's that's a negative. Um, you know, the more serious answer is actually, um, you know, the type of story that was in the earlier book, uh, Practicing Lean, which is similar vibe, if you will, of kind of looking back and sharing mistakes and um, reminding myself, first off, and trying to remind others, hey, you know, we all make mistakes, but let's learn from them. Let's not be too hard on, on people who make mistakes when they're new to something. I made a lot of mistakes. And, you know, one was, you know, uh, my last manufacturing job at, at Honeywell. So this was still, I mean, it was the first decade of my career. I mean, at that point, it's probably five years of direct manufacturing experience, you know, some time at the startup and grad school in between, um, you know, of, of implementing change and failing, of being told, um, you know, through Honeywell to get my basically lean black belt certification, you know, you need to go do this project. And it was in a production department, kind of cellular manufacturing with different operations running at different times, and there's changeovers and basically designing, it was a technically correct production Kanban system of like visual reorder points and trying to get the, the, the change over time down, but, but looking at, you know, the sequence and the timing of changeovers and basically nobody used it. 
<laughs> that was humbling. And I think sometimes people use the word humbling in a mistaken way. I think I'm think I'm using the word accurately here, right? It was humbling. Now, in to my credit or my own defense, like I was trying to engage the people working in that area, but it was not a culture that really did that. It was not a culture that would allow us to shut down production to really work with people. So there were some systemic factors, but there was still, there was a lesson learned or at least trying to reflect on, I, I could have put more efforts and more emphasis into that, even in the face of, you know, a culture that was, you know, not Toyota-like, but trying to do lean projects. Mm-hmm. You know, but but part of the lesson there is trying to avoid situations where that might happen again as a consultant. Right, right. And that makes sense. I mean, I'd like to, I mean, I certainly have stories like that as well. Um, There's one I tell that I worked at a play. I was an engineering manager of a manufacturing plant. And uh, we had this systemic issue where we had a hand assembly, uh, you know, and there's five or seven pieces and they had to go in a certain order and we would get them out of order. We'd be missing pieces because we're doing hundreds and hundreds of assemblies a day. And it's all done by hand. And it was our job as the engineers to try to mistake proof it. So we looked at scales. We looked at high-speed cameras. And just because of the nature of what we did and, you know, weights and costs, it's none of that stuff would work. Well, one of my engineers finally built this pretty slick little light curtain system. So it was probably five feet long by eight inches high by eight inches deep. And basically, you had to break the light curtains in order in a certain sequence to make sure that you got the parts that you needed, right? So we do all this stuff, and it it works really well. We roll it out on the floor, and every time somebody screws up, a light goes off and a buzzer sounds, and the buzzer's loud. (laughs) It's like the loudest one we could find. So uh, I hear the, you know, we roll it out there the first couple of days. I hear the buzzer all the time and then gradually it tapers off. And then a couple of weeks go by and I don't hear anything. And I'm, you know, we're high-fiving each other in the engineering office. We're thinking, ah, we're awesome. You know, we're the best there is, uh, right up until I walked out on the shop floor because what happened was, uh, they defeated the whole purpose of it. They, instead of, they yeah. broke the sequence correctly once and instead of grabbing one part, they grabbed a whole handful. So they had little piles <laughs> yeah, of nuts, right. bolts, and washers in front of the light curtain. Mm-hmm. And so I tell that actually, I tell that story often. But the mistake we made was we didn't involve the folks yeah. that yeah. were going to be using it. Right. I I I thought you were going. I thought the story was going to end with they disabled the loud buzzer, but they more so they avoided triggering it. With, right. But people are clever, right? So like, why, you know, the ideal would be engaging them and, and using that creativity for Kaizen instead of being creative and circumventing uh, mistake proofing attempts, right? Right, um, right. Or worse, people circumventing um, safety guarding where that comes back to a cultural mistake, a cultural issue of emphasizing, you know, Numbers, numbers, numbers. And, you know, I mean, I read, read a sad story last year of um, manufacturing worker getting killed. Um, you know, the supervisor had, had basically encouraged, if not taught them how to circumvent the safety guarding. And this big boom came around and hit the worker in the head and probably killed them instantly. And, you know, um, it, you know, the, the, these, you know, cult, cultural issues around, you um, putting safety first and, you know, thinking of the, you know, the problem solving that, that, you know, if, if there had been these other problems, more effective problem solving would have solved the jams or whatever problems in a way that, that wouldn't have, you know, that, that, that would have kept the safety mechanisms in place instead of being circumvented. So there's, you know, gosh, there's principles, there's culture, there's problem solving. Mm -hmm. A lot of this is all very um, wrap, you know, all interconnected. Right. Which is sort of where we started the conversation, but I think it makes a lot of sense because, you know, like in, in, in my example, our hearts were in the right place and there's a lot, trust me, there's a lot of things we tried before this. I mean, this whole thing project was six, eight 
months long. And we tried this, it didn't work. We tried that, it didn't work. So there was some iterative back and forth until, but finally, I call it, I refer to it as the constant pressure of production. And whether you're, you know, making parts or providing a service, it's, you know, we're all, we all have jobs because the organization that we work at has customers and we're trying to meet those customers' needs. And like you said, sometimes we apply our creativity on how to, I don't want to say, necessarily say cut corners, but we take, we assume some risk that maybe if we had a different type of culture that didn't allow those things, then, you know, yeah, it might take a little longer, but, you know, it's, again, it gets back to the risk reward, I guess, piece of it. Well, but let me, let me turn it back on you a little bit then and ask like what, so I, what was the moment of truth? Like what was the reaction of seeing the workers with their piles and you learned, you know, what they had done? What was, what was the response from you or others? So I, good question. Um, I remember at first, I remember my, I could feel my face getting red because I think I was angry because again, we had spent a lot of time and effort trying to figure this whole thing out. Um, that I'd say that passed pretty quickly. And I forgot to tell you the part of the story that buzzer lasted about two days, by the way. And then they, there was a key that the supervisor needed to turn it off. And the whole idea was, uh, he had the key. He would have to come over, turn the buzzer off, investigate, find out what happened. He had, I think 30 people and, you know, four or five different departments like so he just left the key in there yeah and he just left it in the off position so that <laughs> lasted like i said not long but see um, that's that's understandable though that comes back to system design this is not a toyota plant with the ratio of team members to team leader to have that kind of instant response right exactly and that was exactly the problem so i remember i was a little angry at first i didn't you know and i'm not a yell yelling type of dude so I didn't yell at anybody, but I just remember asking this. I'm like, what is what how is this happening? And and he and I were we're actually to this day uh good friends. So I asked him, like, what is going on? He's like, Well, it just they don't like it, it gets in the way. It's you know, in, in retrospect, there was a lot of input we should have and needed from them, you know, should have gotten and needed, and we just didn't, we just didn't ask because and that's my fault as engineering manager. I told, you know, my folks what to do. I didn't recognize the importance of getting buy-in and investment from everybody on the shop floor. I just assumed, and I was, you know, in my defense, I will say this is 25 years ago. So I was much younger, much more naive. I'd like to think I'm smarter now. Um, but still, I see that same, you know, that same mentality, same mistake happen sometimes and it's not because people don't want to do it and this is one of my biggest sticking points when we start talking about culture and mistakes i firmly believe the vast majority of people's hearts are in the right place and everybody's trying to do their jobs the best that they can but it's the interactions between people and between disciplines it just gets so messy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm real. So that was going to kind of lead into my next question for you is again, after 200 some odd episodes, what do you think, what advice would you give to leaders and managers? Like, so they can in incorporate a culture mm -hmm. to encourage risk taking and that mistakes are okay. And psychological safety, like, can you, is there a nutshell umbrella yeah. statement you can make? Yeah, there's there, there's two. I think you know the one that comes from patterns in the podcast, and some of it comes from uh, my friend Karen Ross, who was the guest in episode um, number three. Um, I've got uh, a coffee mug that that I've had made. This is a um, this is a long story here. This is a broken handled version that's basically a pen holder slash crud junk holder. Um, my insurance card, the information wasn't showing there. Nobody could pause the video, <laughs> get any, you know, thanks, uh, no identity theft here. But um, there's this side of the mug that I often use to drink coffee, non-broken one. Um, shipping mistake, by the way, from the company that made the mugs. Um, it says here, uh, you know, be kind to yourself. And the implicit is, you know, try to be kind 
to others when they make mistakes. Nobody is perfect. We all make mistakes. The important thing is continuing to learn from our mistakes. So there's patterns from the, you know, the podcast guests of um, even if there were other factors involved, like there's this healthy habit of taking responsibility for your own actions, even if there are things you wish others had done differently, um, you can't control that. You can learn from that. You can try to um, do things differently uh, moving forward. But I think there's this pattern that I admire and appreciate of not just telling the story, but then secondly, like not blaming and pointing fingers at others, taking ownership of the mistake. I think that's a great habit. And then um, not so much directly from the podcast, but from things I was learning in parallel. And then finally did get to interview on uh, my favorite mistake, uh, Timothy Clark, the author of a book called The Four Stages of Psychological Safety. I'd taken some training classes um, with him virtually and through his company, Leader Factor, and really helped me connect the dots on the advice around how, how do we build psychological safety so that people feel safe, among other things, speaking up to admit mistakes, to point out mistakes that weren't theirs, to bring improvement ideas you know, forward. Um, the, the, the two key countermeasures for how do leaders build psychological safety, for one, it's not trying to declare you should feel safe, Paul. You know, this is this is a safe environment now. There's no punishment zone. You should feel safe speaking up about mistakes. Well, mm-hmm. you may or may not. You're shaking. He's shaking his head. No, right. No. That's for each person to decide. Has it been demonstrated that it's safe? And so the two key countermeasures are really just either a for leaders modeling vulnerable acts, and then b rewarding. Or was it one and two? A and B. First. <laughs> Model my, there's a mistake for me, I think. Um, modeling vulnerable behaviors such as admitting mistakes, saying you were wrong, saying I don't know, um, and then rewarding others when they do the same. Like it's really, it's mostly through action. Like you can try to encourage people, but if the actions don't align with the words, people will learn, they will protect themselves and they will keep quiet. They will hide mistakes. I saw a lot of that in General Motors era, especially under the first traditional yelling and screaming plant manager. And yeah, I can only imagine, Paul, your situation, if that happened in my GM plant, oh, there would have been yelling. Mm -hmm. What's wrong with you people? Don't you care about quality? Blah, 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 blah. And like, stop. There's this lesson of like, you know, stop blaming bad apples, quote unquote. It's not bad apples. It's it's bad systems. People want to do good work. And, you know, when we engage them and have alignment around goals and what we're trying to accomplish and make it safe for people to try things. Now, like, you know, at the same time, Paul, you know, hopefully your leaders above you didn't get all punitive, you know, with you like, Hey, why didn't you know better? Oh, you really leaped that up or like, I mean, like, okay, you learned, right. I mean, you know, you did your best, you tried, you learned. And I, I try to, you know, again, back to being kind to myself of not beating myself up over different mistakes that I make. Um, I think that's one of the first steps to trying to also extend that to others. Right. And that's an important point. I mean, I actually had a, a CEO boss of mine one time, and this is, I'll tell you, not that long ago, mm-hmm. about maybe 15 years ago. Uh, she told me once, and I forget the context. I think we were talking about something that had happened in manufacturing and and I think I had said something or done something. And and as we were talking about it, I'm like, yeah, I really should go apologize and take ownership or something like that. And she said, she looked me dead in the eye and she said, never apologize. Uh, and I, I you know, and, and again, I was getting a little older now and I'm like, why? That doesn't seem, you know, in my head, I'm thinking that doesn't seem right. right. And she said, oh, no. She goes, you never say the words, I'm sorry, because it shows weakness. Mm, no, it, it, it shows strength, though. Right. Exactly. Th- and that's the part she didn't get, to, yeah. you know, quite quite honestly. I, I worked there for a few years, and it became more and more apparent to me that it was a, a little bit of a house of cards. You know, it was a lot of, a lot of talk, uh, a lot of action, and those two things were at opposite ends of the normal <laughs> distribution. There's a lot of great talk going on, but when you know, when it came right down to it, it was not a, I wouldn't call it toxic, but you could see toxic from where we were. Yeah. But there, you know, there's, there's that human 
interaction of like, it, you, you get taught as a kid, if you do something wrong, say, I'm sorry, not some sort of conditional, if you're upset, I apologize. No, 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 just, just apologize and state, you know, what you did wrong. And people respect that, you know, and, and, and in the healthcare realm, you know, there, there's, there's studies that show when a, a, a physician or a surgeon uh, apologizes for a, a, a mistake, they get sued less often. Like a lot of times uh, patients and their families get litigious because they're, they're mad about the mistake. They're even more upset and offended by the denials, the stonewalling, the bit that, I mean, and I'm not saying, well, okay, just make all the mistakes you want. Just apologize. I mean, like there are some mistakes in healthcare that we should be working really hard to prevent so that they are truly quote unquote, never events. That's different than situations where we're trying to, um, be innovative or do creative process improvement, problem solving. Mm-hmm. But, but back to the the general point of like, like what, why, you know, people say, Oh, well, you know, you, uh, it's just business or, you know, this idea that you can't be authentically human at work. Um, and that's, that, that, that does seem outdated or, you know, people seem to want to be able to be themselves, which is, in Tim Clark's framework, uh, stage one of those four stages of psychological safety. Mm-hmm. Can you be your authentic self? Now, that's not licensed to be a jerk and say, hey, psychological safety, I'm being authentic. Like, well, like, but are you um, are you feeling you know, accepted, included, and respected mm-hmm. by your team, by your boss, by your company? Um, that's stage one. If people don't have that, it's hard to ask them then to feel safe taking risks to learn. Um, to contribute and to challenge the status quo. If people don't feel um, accepted, included, and respected, you can tell them all day long, you should be challenging the status quo. And they're like, yeah, no. Why would I do that? I'm good. It's safer not, it's safer not to challenge the status quo. It's not best for the company, right? But that's where the, the, the role of leaders is to help build psychological safety instead of saying, Hey, be brave, be courageous. It's your duty. No, like reduce the risk and danger and people will speak up. Right. Exactly. And that's, I mean, I talk a lot about, you know, the quote from Steve Jobs, which, you know, multifaceted, lots of, you know, depending on who you listen to, you know, he's, he wasn't the nicest guy, but he has a quote that I like. We don't hire smart people so we can tell them what to do. We hire smart people so they can tell us what to do. And it's always interesting to me that, as organizations, we struggle with that sometimes because as we get, you know, quote, promoted, now all of a sudden we're, you know, somehow smarter than everybody else and we have access to the oracles and all this other ridiculousness that I don't know if it's throwback from the industrial revolution or like a pseudo military hierarchy we've i don't know why i gotta when i retire it's gonna be my phd thesis i guess on it but this dynamic of like the higher up you go the more all-knowing and omnipotent and right infallible you're supposed to be and that's just that's that's nonsense right but I've had jobs where I was, you know, engineering manager, plant manager, and there were people that said that to me. They're like, "Well, you should know this." Like, why would I? Why would I know this? Why I have I have no more knowledge. And it wasn't even something I forget. It was like uh, it wasn't COVID because this was long before COVID showed up. But it was something like that. And and I'm like, I see the same news you see. I don't have, you know, we don't get like. You know, there's not a double secret manager newsletter that the Illuminati sends out that I get and you don't like it's right. just, you know. Yeah, but when when you when you punish someone for asking that question, so this is stage two learner safety in you know the psychological safety uh, approach. Um, when you scold someone or punish them or embarrass them, especially in front of others, like what you should have known that. Well, they're going to learn to stop asking questions. And they might be now guessing or faking it. And whether that leads to, you know, uh, some sort of mix up and patient safety problem or, or some sort of employee um, safety risk or quality problem like that, that. It's just 
hurts performance when 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 you scold people instead of rewarding them. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. I remember once I had a primary care physician who stopped and thought about something, and he said, "Hang on, I'll be right back." He leaves the room. I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. And I don't know if he had to go to the bathroom. It wasn't really clear, but okay, he left. That's fine. And he came back in and he apologized. And he said, oh, I had to look something up in whatever such and such guide. I'm, like, I'm sorry. And I'm like, no, don't, don't apologize. Thank you hmm. for taking the time to go look it up instead of trying to pretend like you know everything. And that's that's cultural. Like John Toussaint told a story that I heard once where he was a young ER doctor, or no, he's internal medicine. Anyway, he was a young doctor, um, got scolded for carrying some sort of guidebook around in his pocket that, you know, you're supposed to memorize these things. And like, that's just a, a ridiculous expectation, right? So I, I, I think I rewarded him. Um, I, I certainly thought more of the doctor that he was going to take the time to go look it up instead of um, guessing and maybe being wrong and whatever. I don't even remember what it was, but, you know, um, I try to right. reward those moments. And I think we can do the same, same in a workplace. Right. Ab- absolutely. There's no reason. Right. And, and like you just said, you don't remember what it was, but you remember that he did that and you mm-hmm. probably always will. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So Mark, if I may, and you I may. guess I can because I'm the host. You are. Uh, there's something <laughs> that I usually do on my podcast called affectionately the wicked fun part, which yeah. I think you right. You went to Northeastern. Did you or Northwestern? Another, nor, another mistake, Paul. One Northwestern. Uh, yeah. But you see, but Northeastern is in Boston. And so you're, you're yeah, I can see why you'd say Northeastern. That's what. So I would that was my planned segue. For the wicked part, because right, it's a. Boston, I did spend time in Boston, though, so I know I know some of the vernacular. All right, vernacular. just don't try to fake the accent, because we'll no. know. Uh, no, 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 I'll try not. No, that would be, that would be a mistake. I think. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Especially I'll say hi to my friends. Say hi to my friends in Worcester. There you go. Just, yeah, don't do it at a Sox Yankees game. That's <laughs> that doesn't end well. Trust me. But anyway, so I play I play this little game called uh, the wicked fun part. If you're up for it, sure. All right. So I basically I'm just going to rapid fire you a few questions, pseudo not really lean related, but just sort of a get to know you. I mean, not that people that listen to this podcast haven't heard you for 17 years, but maybe nobody's ever asked you these before. I'm asking. I'm I'm almost always the one asking someone else the questions. So right. Yeah. All right. Let's All right. do it. All right. Here we go. What'd you want to be when you were little? I wanted to be a uh, journalist, baseball writer, more specifically. A nice. friend of mine, his dad did that. And to me, loving baseball, that was a dream job. And I still get to write books and blogging. It's not quite journalism, but there we have it. Yeah. It's, it's journalism adjacent, right? Yeah. How about uh, what inspires you? People shouldn't hate coming to work. <laughs> And that sounds like that sets the bar really low, but let's, let's surpass that bar and then we can work our way up in the hierarchy of needs. <laughs> but I mean, I do mean that seriously though. I mean, uh, it's just people, we spend too much time at work for people to be miserable there. And um, so that's one common thread, no matter what kind of company or industry I've been in, mm-hmm. people shouldn't hate coming to work. Yeah. I, I reference Gallup surveys and they haven't changed in many years. It's roughly two thirds of, of employees either feel not engaged or actively disengaged from. And, and and don't let people fool you that this is recent and that this is because of COVID and that this is because of work from home. Nope, 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 nope. But see that that be careful of people with two data points and an agenda. There you All go. These articles about no, we got to get back to the office. I'm like, well, a lot of people disagree. Yeah, exactly. I mean, slight tangent, the great resignation that was in all the news a couple, what, a year and a half, two years ago, that that number comes from what they call the quits report. I've referenced that quits report for a decade. It wasn't that far off from what it was during the great resignation. I mean, we were up around 4 million people quitting their jobs every month anyways. Was it the highest during COVID and right after? Yes, it was. But yeah, not that much to in, put it in measures of success speak, mm-hmm. right? It's within the noise of the data. 
It might be every, I'm going to hold that book up too. Every data set has a highest point ever. It doesn't mean that data point is a statistical signal or outlier. Right. There you go. Uh, how about this one? What's one thing nobody knows about you? One thing that nobody knows about me. You got to keep it PG-13. This is a family show. I mean, <laughs> something that no, something that, can we set the bar a little different? Something that most people? Sure. Yeah, that's, I mean, I'm assuming, you know, know, your family knows pretty much everything. But yeah. let's say the average yeah. podcast listener. Most people don't know. I mean, I see a pair of drumsticks sitting over here. It kind of... It's not the juiciest answer you've gotten from anybody. Most people probably don't know that I also really love drumming and I need, I want to pick that up more again in adulthood, maybe secondary job. Like I wish I could have been, you know, professional percussionist, but music and drumming, you know, that that's really important to me. Nice. I'll look for that on YouTube. Do you have any drumming videos (laughs) uploaded or nah? Uh, No. Ah. I, I don't, but so, so, you know, I'm not just totally making something up. See, I've got a pair of drumsticks and I've got, I want to call a practice pad, which is basically like playing a snare drum. I would love to get an electronic drum kit though. Hmm. Put on headphones like yours and try not Go to, to sound. try not to annoy the neighbors too, too badly. Yeah. Well, you know, we have a, we have a Nintendo Wii and we have rock band, so it's kind of <laughs> the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> I enjoyed uh, Guitar Hero. Yeah, back yeah. in the day, the home Guitar Hero setup. I never did the rock band setup with the drums. I should have. You're missing out, Mark. I got to tell you, too much of a toy, though. I'm sure, like real guitar players, don't like playing Guitar Hero. Maybe I saw a video once of Rush playing the Wii to one of their songs, mm-hmm. and I mean, argue arguably one of the best bands ever. And I will argue that point because I have a lot of respect for him. But anyways, uh, it didn't go well. But, they, you know, I mean, they were playing along with the whole the whole shtick of the whole thing. But, you know. All right. How about um, what quality do you admire most in others? I think. I mean, there's there's many. Um, I'm going to tie it back into my book available now. The mistakes that make us. I mean, there's a couple of those characteristics. One is, you know, again, someone in a leadership position being willing to say things like, I made a mistake. I don't know. Um, I could be wrong. I was wrong. Like there, there's a really strong culture of that at Kinexus, you know, software company I've, I've been involved in in a, a very part-time way for more than a decade. But that starts with, um, you know, CEO Greg Jacobson, like the humility. You know, I mean, I'm throwing a lot of different, not just actions, but, but traits, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that's, that's really key. And I, and I think when somebody can react constructively um, to bad news, whether that news is related to mistakes or a problem, or like, I just, those, those are a couple of traits that come to mind and are, I kind of think illustrated by people's stories that I'm sharing uh, in, in the book. Hmm. Nice. Last one. What superpower? do you wish you had superpower um take flying probably the number one answer without giving that too much thought i'll take um yeah i'll take flying okay solid solid choice that sounds fun i mean i fly enough as it is in (laughs) airplanes so right (laughs) right all right so Mar, I did. I wanted to wrap up a little bit. So you kind of mentioned it already. So when does the book officially come out? Well, um, through the magic of recording and holding the episode, by the time I release it here, it's already available. Okay, June something or other ish. You know, like hopefully that ends up that forecast ends up not being a mistake. But um, by the time people are hearing this, the the book is available now in. Uh, paperback, Kindle format, uh, hardcover format. Somebody wants that a couple bucks more uh, for the hardcover version, but um, yeah, available mainly through Amazon. Um, People can learn more through my website, mistakesbook.com. We'll forward to uh, the page where people can learn more, download, um, sample 
material. Uh, people want to order signed copies or do a bulk order. They can do that through the website as well. So nice. it's a mistake not going through some of that with you before we started recording, but see, so be it. Like, uh, see, we're 85% prepared for the episode. I, there's no need to go edit that. I, you know, it's just, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. I kind of, I mean, I would ask you that question right now anyways, right? Because right? yeah. it's a natural progression of the whole thing. And this is book, what, four for you? Five? This is, is it? it. that's more complicated to answer than it should be. So I'll, I'll call this my third solo book, uh, Lean Hospitals, then Measures of Success, and then this one, The Mistakes That Make Us, co-authored a book with Joe Schwartz, Healthcare Kaizen, and then we did a variation of that book called The Executive Guide to Healthcare Kaizen. And then Practicing Lean had you know 15 other um, co-authors. So I guess the easiest way to answer it is um, third solo project. And then I've had some collaborations with other with other folks. Nice. Congratulations. I mean, I haven't Thank you. as you and I have chatted before. I haven't even I co-wrote one. And I have uh Katie Anderson, who was uh two time the only two-time guest on the New England Lean podcast, gave me one of her, you know, duoramas. Here it is. Right. So I filled Duruma. in the eye. Yep. Yeah. It kind of came out funny because I I spun, right? Yeah. So I have the one eye. So I set the goal, which is to write my book. I have, and it's been like this for a few years now, Yeah, regrettably. So I so really get it. also gave me, I had a Jeruma for measures of success. This was my Jeruma for the mistakes that make us. And even though the writing is done, I haven't colored in the other eye because as publisher, to me, that other eye gets colored in when the book is actually on the market, available in people's hands. So we're getting there. Nice. So what's on tap for the launch? Is this, are you renting out Madison Square Garden? Uh, no. <laughs> fireworks over, you know. Well, nothing like, nothing like that. Um, I did a, a book cover reveal online event with uh, a mutual friend, Elizabeth Swan. Mm -hmm. We kind of went through and, and showed, okay, here's the cover, told some of the story behind the cover and the iteration. And, and that process, um, plan on doing, trying to think of the timing of when compared to this uh, podcast being released. Uh, with Kinexus, we're going to do a bit of an online launch event with, um, you know, kind of a, a panel discussion with me and some Kinexus leaders about learning from mistakes and how do we, how do we cultivate that culture, um, if you will. Um, trying to, you know, do a lot of writing and, and getting articles placed in different places to try to promote the book, getting on um, other people's podcasts. No fun event where we're like renting out a distillery in Kentucky or Texas or anything. But um, you know, you maybe tight with the Van Winkles. No, well, we'll see. I mean, uh, and then uh, audiobook version I think will be available later this year. I certainly do plan on um, producing the audiobook. My book coach said, "Oh, don't worry about trying to have that ready when the print book is available." It's mm -hmm. Not unusual for the audiobook to release later. And then that gives an excuse to do kind of a second launch. Hmm. Who's going are you gonna read it? Uh, yeah. Yeah, for better or for worse. People want to hear my voice that well, long. You, you um, know, I was I don't know. I listen to a lot of so I, I log a lot of windshield time. So I actually do a lot of pod listen to a lot of podcasts and audiobooks. And I always kind of like it when the author reads their own book because they really know these stories. And I feel like they're not only the energy comes through, but the intonation and it's a pride. I don't know what to call it, but it feels better. I think so. Congrats. Authentic. Yeah, maybe. Right. So then there's a question of, do I, Right. And I'm definitely going to work. It's like with the book, quote unquote, self-publishing. That's that's a mistake to really call it that. I'm going to partner with people who know what they're doing. And that could mean going to someone's studio and recording it. Or it might mean I record it at home and send them the files and you know do the editing. The one advantage, I think, of being in a studio is that there's the feedback loops. If I kind of mumble my way through a word... And they can they can call it out and stop me and sorry snap my fingers in front of the microphone. They would say don't do that either. Um, you know we can go back and you know record immediately as opposed to sending them a big batch 
it's more expensive to go into the studio. And I think it's not just the sound quality, but I think the iteration cycles would be tighter and faster. Mm-hmm. So I might go do that. Nice. Cool. Well, I hope you, uh, I hope you talk about that as you go through it or post on, you know, LinkedIn. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll share about that process. Yeah. You know, I've shared mistakes that I've made along the way and shared iterations that have happened along the way, um, you know, with, with writing the book and bringing it to be, I mean, again, it's like a book's like a startup. You, you, you better be ready to iterate because you probably don't have it all figured out up front and be open to that and expect that and try not to get too discouraged with it, but keep, keep moving forward. There you go. All right, Mark. Well, Thanks for allowing me to host and turn the tables on you a little bit. I really appreciate it. I hope you had fun. I did. I did. Thank you for doing that. Yeah, sure. And uh, so, yeah, I'll see you. uh, I'll see you around online, I guess, until our paths cross at some point. Yeah. Well, we'll look forward to seeing you in person again. Um, Quick story, though. Paul Paul brought me in to do a workshop in, where was it? Central Massachusetts? Yeah, it was just, it was like Boston proper. It was a measures of success workshop. Do you remember the mistake I made? Yes, I do. I showed up to the hotel pretty late at night, even I think like 11 PM. I think there had been some travel delays. I had forgotten to book the hotel and they were full. And the motel six across the highway had a room, but there wasn't really a good way to walk there because it was like divided highway. And like, I think I whined and asked you to come. Did you come drive me? I like, no in the morning. I got an Uber right. I think, to drive me, even though it wasn't very far. Um, no, yeah, you picked me up the next morning. So um my mistake, no in the yeah. but me. It happens, but I was like, you know, there's a fair bit of stress because I mean you're flying halfway all around the from the you know, halfway across uh, the half the country away, right? To come Texas. up to Massachusetts yeah. and I had to get the hotel and the conference room and lunch and all this yeah. coordination. And I just remember I went to bed and I'm like, okay, great. Mark's on a plane. He's on his way. And I wake up the next morning at like five yeah. and I had all these frantic te- <laughs> like chronological yeah, texts from you at the hotel, forgot to book the room looking now and all this stuff. Yeah. And I was already asleep, but yeah, I just remember I picked you up and, and the highway was a four lane highway with a Jersey barrier with a chain link fence on top yeah. of it. So you physically couldn't get across the highway, even if you wanted to. Yeah. So, but it, it all worked out. That's the one and only time I think I've forgotten to book a hotel for mm-hmm. some sort of work like that. So and- where I'm going to read my coffee mug to myself here, be kind to myself. I wasn't kind to myself at the time. I'm trying to get better at that. No one's perfect. We all make mistakes. The important thing is learning from our mistakes. And then I've actually changed the mug to add and helping others do the same. Nice. I like it a lot. Cool. Yeah. All right, Mark. Well, good luck with the launch. Thank you. I can't wait to read it. Thanks again. All right, bud. Thanks. See ya. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.